If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. In this episode of Mind Pump, for the first 50 minutes, we do our normal introductory current events conversation. It's anything but normal. A little bit of a twist, dude. We got into the fitness and we talked about our personal shit going on. We had a good time. We talked about high rep training, or at least my adventures in high rep training. We talked a lot about snatch grip deadlifts, heavy deadlifts, and the benefits of training outside of your comfort zone. Actually, Adam shares a story of a couple years ago how he added a couple inches to his back through heavy training. We talked about standing up for yourself and turning the other cheek. Don't get bullied. We talked about the Nazi saluting pug <laughs> and freedom of speech. This is a real thing. This is actually all over yeah, the place. Yeah, this actually so happened. Yeah. Should we crazy. throw him in jail? Uh, yeah. Uh, we talked about how damn our- Damn dog. Yeah. We talked about how our environment, experience, and media- shapes our perception of people and the world. Mm. It's important you examine that uh, often um, so that you don't have preconceived notions that are not accurate. We talked about Adam's new Viore shirt. It's very oh, nice. It's what looking it fly today. Very slick. It's a nice salmon color. Matching my cherry blossoms. We are uh, sponsored by Viore. If you go to Viore it's Clothing. Yeah. <laughs> if you go to vioreclothing.com forward slash mind pump, you get 25% off. Again, that's Viori spelled V-U-O-R-I clothing.com forward slash mind pump. And then I uncover the Harvard study that was just published that blew everyone's mind. Mind-blowing study. Crazy, crazy study. The we sky, would never have put those two together. The yeah. sky is still blue. <laughs> I'm so glad they invest money in studies like this. Uh. Then we get into the questions. The first question was, is it true that young men today are losing their sex drive? This particular individual and her roommate have noticed that dudes just don't want to have sex like they used to. What a tragically, tragically sad story. And she's a little frustrated. She's trying to get some. Don't DM yeah. her, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can find her at Tender under... No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Next question was, can we explain what it means to fatigue the central nervous system? And are some exercises more likely to cause that type of fatigue? A little controversy there. Great conversation. The next question was, we talk a lot about priming and mobility warm-ups, but we don't really talk a whole lot about what you do after the workout. Is it as important to have a good cool-down as it is to have a good priming warm-up? Yeah, chill out, man. And finally, what are our thoughts on how the sedentary lifestyle is now becoming the new smoking? It's probably better that you smoke cigarettes, to be honest. Believe it or not. <laughs> Say not- what? <laughs> Believe it or not, my sitting- pump is sponsored by Marlboro yeah, now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We're rich. You imagine. They'd have to pay us a lot of money. I want to be Camel Joe. Yeah. Believe it or not, uh, if you sit down for six hours or more a day, that's equivalent to smoking a pack of cigarettes, according to a 2014 study of over 120,000 people. We talk about that in this episode. Also, this month, still going on. Get free access to our private forum. It's our crown jewel. It's what we have that we value the most. There's lots of smart, like-minded fitness and comedy enthusiasts in there. You can go in there. You can ask questions. You can answer questions. And of course, Adam, Justin, and myself are in there every single day. In order to get free access, all you have to do is enroll in a MAPS bundle. Now, bundles are where we have several MAPS programs that we combine for a particular goal, 
like if you want to be a sexy athlete, we have a sexy athlete bundle. If your butt isn't responding to your training, we have your build your butt bundle. Or if you want everything planned out for you and you're super serious about your fitness, you can get the MAPS Super Bundle, which is one year of exercise programming all planned out for you. All of this can be found at mindpumpmedia.com. I'm sore, man. Fucking sore muscles. Sore sphincter. I've been... Thanks, thanks, thanks Justin. No, muscle. Uh, that is a muscle. It is it? a muscle. It is a muscle. You've no, been, that one's been not... expressing that muscle. <clears throat> no, that's not... You know, there, you know there's several sphincter muscles in your body? Yeah. Yeah, sphincters are basically muscles that... They contract. They they close a they close up a hole like that yeah, yeah. And then yeah. they pushed up just in case you didn't know right uh, no I'm sore because I'm I'm in uh, territory that I usually don't go into Justin you know exactly what I'm talking about oh yeah <clears throat> it's that uh, that high rep territory yeah oh it's horrific it's terrible <laughs> some people enjoy it though I mean the, Bro, the adapted I, people anyway. I used that's exactly yeah. what it is so I love that way of training. For such a long time, you guys were the ones that really yeah. pushed me out of my comfort zone. To I never trained in the one to five rep range. We tried. Ever. We tried to convert you really hard. Ever, yeah, and I did, and yeah. I like it was fully. Well, they all have benefit, right? and now I hate yeah. the high rep because yeah. you guys, it's oh, all your fault. Man. Like I'm like, man, I wish I could get back. Were to you it. always in like you were high high rep like fifteen twenty, bro? I was <clears throat> so low rep range for me would fall in the. Single sets of eight to ten reps, which I rarely that was low reps. That was low reps, uh, and then I would normally build up to fifteen, and then I would build up to a lot of supersetting, where I do a heavy ten reps, and then I do a fifteen light rep, and I would superset all yeah. the exercise. Yeah, so I was high volume. No, no, uh, I, 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 I mean, I know the benefit. I know the benefits of it. I just don't like it because it's exhausting. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you got to go hella light. It's a, you know? it's a shock. It's a shell shock. It's you get a different shakiness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I did high rep, uh, snatch grip, deadlifts. Well, that's exhausting. Wow. When's the last time you did a snatch grip deadlift? I was just doing it actually two days ago. Were you? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah we've it. all been inspired so, with those as of late. Yeah, I know. So what do you what do you get from what do you feel from them when you do them? Oh, my upper back, dude. Yeah. Yeah, my and my lats. I actually, it, it, when I go really wide like that, it really I can feel my lats already really engaged. Just trying to stabilize. Yeah, everything. when I'm when I'm conventional and my I have like a normal standard grip, I really have to think about bending the bar to activate the lats. Where when I go really wide, mm-hmm. naturally the lats are already kind of stretched out, so I feel them already engaged. And then my upper back when I now pull. are you doing a hook grip when you're out there, or are you doing a regular Just grip? Just a standard grip. Because I noticed my grip, too. It works my grip totally differently. Oh, it's mm. challenging. Very mm-hmm. different, because when I when I grip something, I have a lot of strength with the last with my last three fingers or whatever. My oh, pinky, which, my which you're losing my, that on a wide grip. On a wide grip, it's your ring finger and your thumb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm totally, it's totally different for me. Yeah. It's pretty cool. But I'm going light as fuck. Like, I'm doing sets of 20 reps and I'm doing like 135ish yep. yeah yeah yep yeah. which is I mean for deadlifts for me that's like you might as well give me nothing but it no it wasn't 20 reps of that shit and I'm like oh yeah see that's interesting I've been going more getting back into power movements and so oh, like explosive power yeah like cleans and and uh, uh push presses and you know yeah stuff like that so just getting that like explosivity back in the mix it, and that's been a, a shell shock for me but then again it's a little bit of my comfort zone i haven't been there in a long time though so i did get pretty sore man 
Like I'm sore. I was doing a lot of Jane Fonda stuff, you know, yeah. like sing my routine. I, I'm writing my, so I'm trying to like track and I know you're putting uh, it in your story. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to put it in my story so people can kind of follow along when I'm doing yeah, it. Those jazzercise workouts are <laughs> fucking hard. And, and, and I'm not going to lie there. I'm writing them and stuff like that. And I feel like I should fudge these numbers because this is such a pussy ass workout, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I keep it real. So people know. So fuck you. You know what I'm saying? If you're looking uh, at me like, that's a no, weak no, ass I, workout. You know what? It's funny that's because funny, I remember that. I remember like post thing on Instagram and you, 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 if you're going light or whatever, you don't want to, you almost like naturally you want to be like, well, you know, I've gone heavier before. Why don't I use the numbers I've used before? Because right. If I, but then, you know, as far as, you know, part of me is like, well, I want to also communicate this to people because I want them to do it the right way. No, I'm you know right. I'm saying hundred yeah. percent. And I think that's wow. where the transparency with that is so important because I personally believe that most people inflate a lot of their oh their, their numbers, their sets, their reps, and and it, it why I don't like it is because it feeds this this problem that we already have of people overtraining and beast mode. Yep. It's like superhero. So I, yeah. So now I'm like, you know what? Like I know as much as that my ego tells me I want to say, oh well, I, yeah, I normally can deadlift this, but I'm doing this. Like no, this is I'm doing two sets of this. I'm only doing 135 pounds. It's really. But I mean, I tell you what, like my body's already changing in four workouts. I mean, I've had four workouts and my body is starting to change. Now, I think it's also important, too, that people know that it, the change is really slow. I was just answering a question on uh, one of our DMs and, you know, someone's like, hey, they're telling me their caloric intake, uh, what their Fitbit is telling them they're burning. They're telling me where their calories are at. And then they're telling me that they're not seeing a lot of change. And I said, "Well, what do you mean by you're not seeing a lot of change?" Well, my weight hasn't changed that much. And I said, "Well, if you're in a if you're in a good solid 900 to 1,000 calorie restriction every day, and you're now following maps and strength training right now, you shouldn't see a huge change on the scale. In fact, if you saw a major change in the scale, I would tell you you're probably doing something wrong." Because you shouldn't be like drastically losing weight. Your body now is getting a new signal sent to it to adapt and change and grow and build muscle. So you're probably building a little bit of muscle and you're probably also losing a little bit of body fat, which in turn is showing you on the scale little to no change. Right. So I think a lot of people don't, re that doesn't register. If people for, only yeah. realize the difference between, and you can find this online, you can actually find this. They've done pictures like this where you'll see a man who's six foot tall, 200 pounds with muscle. And then you'll see a six foot tall man, two hundred pounds with no muscle, and how different they look. And they'll have the, they'll have one with the female, right? This woman's one hundred and forty pounds. This woman's one hundred and forty pounds. Both weigh the same, different body composition. You look way different, way different. The other thing you want to keep in mind, and I you know I always forget to communicate this because I feel like I've said it so many times that I take for granted. You know, I think oh people know this. Well, they don't. Fat is uh, voluminous. It, it it takes up a lot of space. So if you have 10 pounds of body fat, it takes up a lot more space than 10 pounds of muscle. So even if you, let's just say, you know, for whatever reason you worked out, you've got the most excellent programming, your diet's excellent, you got great genetics, and you gain 10 pounds of muscle while simultaneously losing 10 pounds of body fat. Those are big numbers, okay? Well, let's just say that happened. The scale would look exactly the same your clothes size would go down by probably two or something like that, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You notice a huge difference in this, your size because muscle is so much more dense. And at the end of the day, the scale, it's a piece of information that you can use, uh, but it's only, it's only one piece of information. You can't use it by itself. It doesn't tell you much. All it tells you is your total mass. But it, look, here's the deal. Cut your leg off. Oh, I've lost 20 pounds. 
right? Yeah. Your total mass has gone down, but is that the kind of weight you want to lose? Right. And I like to use that example as well. So, but it makes it, yeah. It's, but yeah, as far as the training is concerned with the with the reps, like I was talking about earlier, one thing that I love about about doing this is whenever I go outside of my comfort zone and I see how poorly I perform, I know, because I've experienced this so many times now, I know that there's a huge uh, like curve of upward curve of progress coming. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like if I always train low reps and I add one rep to my lift or I add five pounds, like that's a cool gain. Like, well, I got stronger. I gained five pounds. But because I've been pushing that for so long, that's about the extent of the gain I'm going to make. Yeah. When I switch to high reps and I do 20 reps with the snatch grip of deadlifts, you know, with 135 pounds because I'm getting used to the reps or whatever, I know for a fact next week I'm probably going to be able to add yeah. 30 to 40 pounds and do the same reps. I know that. And with the same feeling of intensity. And I know the following week I'll probably be able to add another 20 or 30 pounds. That's just myself, by the way. But imagine, you know, think about that. The gains that you make because of that upward curve of adaptation that happens. So it's so, it's so, it's so effective to train in all these different areas. Well, that's the encouraging part because it is more uncomfortable. You know, because it's such a, a shock uh, doing something that drastically different than what you're comfortable with. And then your body adapts. Your body adapts. Yeah. You have to lean on that fact. Well, I'll talk about the shift in mentality that you have to have in order for to apply that, because that's really tough to do. I mean- Oh, you mo- get attached to the weight you lift. Right. Most yeah. And most people, we get in the groove of, of working out. And, you know, it's if you're just now getting started on your health and fitness journey, or you've been out the loop for a long time, and now you're remotivating and going back in, there's nothing- when you first start, there's nothing worse than that feeling when you first start. But to be honest, this is when the greatest change is happening. Yep. I mean, when you when your body is really changing, is that beginning process of this new adaptation or this new signal that you're sending it that you hadn't been sending it to for months or potentially years before that. And yet, then all of a sudden we get some momentum, weeks go by, maybe a month or two goes by, you've lost some good weight. Now your workouts are getting fun. Your workouts are easy, you know what I'm saying? Or like you get, it's easy for you to get in the groove and in reality, like we should have already probably moved on to another phase or a new adaptation and focus, but because but nobody wants to seek that right after you just got good at you know whatever rep range or that's whatever right. modality. And, and that's why the 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 like our maps programs, for example, the reason why we put phases and the phases are and usually three weeks long, sometimes longer, four or five weeks. The reason why we length we we set them up for that length or period of time is because that first week is really learning that new range. You're kind of getting into it. You're getting that new range. You're feeling it. You're not trying to push your body too hard. I mean, it's a new range. Look, if I pushed my body with the same kind of hardcore intensity that I can do with low reps when I go to 15 to 20 reps, what's going to happen is my form's going to go to shit and I'm going to not feel very good. I'm going to overdo it because it's a new range. Yeah. So that first week, that first week is me like practicing and getting used to the range. So although the workout's hard, I know I have to pull back a little bit to get used to it. Now, the second week, I start to push myself a little bit. And by the third week, now I can push myself really hard. And that entire time, I'm getting this really fast upswing of adaptation. I remember, mm-hmm. I remember it, must, it was probably, what, two, two and a half years ago, right? Uh, you know, Adam was, uh, at that time, you're still competing um, as a pro physique competitor. And then you started going, uh, messing around with the low repetitions and heavy weight. And I remember you going heavy on your deadlifts and your deadlift, weight you you added like 150 pounds to your debt in a short period of time oh more than that it was crazy it was i was almost adding 25 to 50 pounds every week every time i revisited right. it, it was it blew me away it's because you never i mean not that you never but you had it in a long time well i really never had put 
I never, even when I deadlifted in the past, I was high rep deadlifting, eight to 12 reps always. I never compromised. Like I was so about my mechanics and the, you know, isolating certain muscles and being a bodybuilder type of way I've trained for a very long time that even when I incorporated deadlifts, it was never, it was, I never put that CNS focus of like, okay, I'm going to go after really trying to adapt that way versus, you know, always being so perfectly mechanically. Let's see how much I, if I call upon my body to rip up 400, 500 pounds, can it do it? And driving that and Man, I remember each week going like surprising myself. Like, dude, oh, the shit. amount of muscle you gain in your back was pretty comical. Interesting, in that especially at that level, you've been training for so long. It's cool to see that you can make a switch like that, which is really, it's actually a very simple, you know, straightforward change. Yeah. But then I remember you remember you took the picture of your back before and after it, yeah, yeah. and it was only like months. It wasn't like you didn't, and nothing changed other than that. And it was like, boom. It looked like all the five pounds of muscle you gained was all there, which probably was. Well, it would trip me out. And this, I remember we talked about this a couple of years ago. This is fucking true story. No exaggeration. I've always, my back was always kind of a stronger part. I've always been able to do rep out pull-ups. I've always been able to lap pull down good, T-bar row good, bend over row good. I've always been able to do all these things. I've always had a pretty strong back. And, you know, when I would do a seated cable row at the gym I'm at, like a good amount of weight, there's about 180, 200 pounds or so. I think the thing maxes out at like 300. And so that's a good amount of weight that I would be moving for rowing. And and I used to have to even strap up to hold on to that and do that kind of weight. When I got when I started to become really focused on deadlift, and this is when I was kind of chasing you and seeing, okay, let's see if I actually applied myself to build strength in my deadlift. Can I catch up or get even close to Sal? And I remember like applying that. I totally just stopped seated row. Like it just was no longer an important lift. It was not my focus of adaptation. I wanted to get good at deadlifting. And so everything that I did was to complement that. And I remember being like, I don't know, it was at least six, eight months before I actually came back and grabbed the seated row. And I remember thinking in my head, like, well, I haven't done this in a really long time. Probably start a little bit lighter and see my my back strength is that because I know I haven't done the exact row. Sure, I'm deadlifting. Sure, I'm doing other things like that, but I know I hadn't rowed, so I wasn't expecting to sit there and be able to even do close to what my max has been for. And I remember grabbing it and, and starting it like at 150, and I was like, "Whoa, this is really light." I was like, "Okay, I warm up." And then I was like, "Let's push to like 180." And I was like, "Fucking 180 is really easy." And I mean, everything from my grip to how the weight mm-hmm. moved. And I moved, and I moved three hundred pounds like it was nothing, and I was like, "Holy fuck, this is!" It took me twenty years of my or fifteen plus years of my life of exercise and training through seated rows, lat pull downs, dumbbell rows, all the basic exercise that everyone does, and but not doing deadlifting to get my back to be as strong and look the way it did. What I progressed it in those six months of put of heavy deadlifting trumped everything I'd done 15 years before that. It was yeah. just like my mind went... Poof. It's crazy. And now, the, yeah. now the, the the problem with that then is then you're like, oh shit, I did all this progress in such a short period of time and then you want to get stuck in that you know modality. Which I did. Or that, and mm-hmm. then you end up hurting yourself or whatever. Which, And that's the thing. Like Overuse injuries, I think a large percentage of these overuse injuries that we tend to get is because we're stuck in the same zone all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, I know my joints, I start to feel stuff in my joints when I stay in the same yeah. 
training phase for too long. That's when I start to feel it. I start to feel it in my connective tissue and the muscle oh, attachments. Oh, yeah, my elbow, my shoulder joint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the, I, I totally feel that just creep up on me almost <clears throat> like it, it, it's predictable. Like you, you could just feel it coming on and you know the signs, but you're, you're still just stuck on that because you've been Dude. pressing through all these PRs or whatever it is that's driving you It's forward. crazy. It's like however self-aware you think you are. I mean, you know, <laughs> we've been doing this for you know decades, right? However self-aware I think I am, I have a podcast I talk about all the time, I still get stuck. Yeah. I still get stuck in whatever I like doing. And this is why I think it's important even to have a program, whether you follow someone else's program or even you write it out yourself, because I know myself, mm-hmm. if I literally put it, if I put it down and I say three weeks in this phase and then yeah. it's over. Yeah. Here's my focal point. Yeah, if I don't do that shit, it's like three weeks turns into six weeks, three months later, Yeah, I haven't done oh, you know, anything over five reps. Oh, and even too, like following through on your programming. Like I, that's why I enjoy right now tracking again is just holding myself accountable. If I'm sitting there writing the exercises down, yeah. I feel like I have to do it. Like yeah. I need to, I know what I know. See, I have the smarts to know it's this is what my body needs. Like yeah. it needs this rep range. It needs this mm-hmm. exercise. And then if I write it down, like even if I don't feel like doing it, whereas if I just go by feel, you know, when you have those moments sometimes when you're like, oh, I don't feel like doing snatch grip deadlifts today. Mm-hmm. So oh, I'll just go over and do some seated rows because that sounds good. It's yeah. like you won't follow through on it. So there is something to be said about actually documenting and writing down or like you're saying, like following a structured program. I always notice a significant difference in my results when I'm actually, it's no different than tracking food and what we talk about with yeah. that. You know, we, of course the goal is to intuitive, intuitively train and intuitively eat. But at the end of the day, even guys that consider themselves professionals and experts in this, in the industry, I still catch myself doing these things and, and having bad habits and falling into these patterns that I enjoy. Or I, It's I, funny because the nutrition side is easier for me than the training side in the sense that I'm more likely to get stuck with training than I do oh, yeah. with, with nutrition. It's it's pretty funny in that regard to be able to be aware enough to be like, why the fuck do I get stuck in the same? <laughs> but yeah, man, I'm getting, uh, I'm feeling good from it. And of course, anytime I switch, I start to build muscle oh. every single time. It's like, and then I fall in love with it. So, <laughs> so I won't get stuck, but I don't think I'll get stuck in the high reps. I'm pretty safe there. I'm pretty sure I'll switch <laughs> out of it in a couple of weeks. That won't be the, that won't be the problem. So yeah. anyway. Dude, so uh, so my you know my kids uh, you know they both play sports or whatever. My son's doing volleyball. I had a, a nice conversation with him after his last game. So now he's in seventh grade, and his volleyball team has seventh and eighth graders. So now he's you know him and his friends or whatever the younger guys and there's the older guys, and some of these eighth graders are fucking massive by the way. And uh, so I was asking my son, I'm like, who's on your team? He's like, oh you know last same kids as last year, but then there's some new kids. I'm like, well. What new kids? He's like, oh, they're eighth graders, and he kind of made this face. So I'm like, what, you know, what's going on? What's up with these with these guys? And he goes, well, they're kind of, you know, they're kind of mean or whatever. I'm like, what? So I think this is like the first experience. Luckily, my my kids haven't had any big experiences with bullying, mm. but this is kind of the first one. So I'm asking about this kid who's a little bit mean. And uh, before we got into it, I said, you know, son, I said, you know, I, I want to talk to you about this before we do. I said, you know, one thing I want you to understand is that when a kid is like that. And they're, you know, picking on kids smaller than them because that's usually what happens. Rarely, rarely, if not ever, will you see a kid uh, bully um, somebody who stands up for themselves or bully someone who's, you know, who's bigger than they are. And, and they usually don't do that because they're typically, it's not. Uh, they're they're scared themselves. Yeah, they're typically yeah. cowards. And I said, and, and, and he goes, what do you mean they're cowards? I said, well, they pr- many times, I said not always, but many times it's a situation at home where, 
they feel powerless, they feel weak. And so when they go to school and they see that small kid, they feel like they can, you know, overpower him. overpower him and it makes them feel better about themselves. And so he's like, well, that makes sense then. So he's telling me the story of how they were handing out shirts for the, for the, for the volleyball. And one of the kids on my son's team is this really, really small kid, like hasn't even touched puberty yet, which sometimes happens. You'll see this sometimes with boys. I remember I had a friend in in junior high, people called him Pee Wee because he was so small. By the time he was a junior in high school, he was like 5'10 or 5'11. Like he grew really quick. So there's this really small kid. And when they were handing the shirts out, I guess this eighth grader's like, oh, well, I guess, I guess you're going to be wearing a triple X small and started laughing, whatever. And he's making these jokes. And I said, did anybody, did he stand up for himself? And he says, uh, well, he didn't say anything. I said, and nobody really said anything. He said, but I almost said something. So I told my son, I said, listen, I said, if you feel, if something inside you feels like you need to say something, then go ahead and say it. So unless you feel like you're in danger, stand up for yourself and stand up for other people. Otherwise, what will happen is these people will be emboldened and they'll just continue doing what they're doing. And suddenly he says, oh, that makes sense because then the other day we were playing basketball and the same kid with another kid walked onto the court and it's like, all right, guys, off the court. It's our court now. And they're like, no, what are you talking about? We're here first. Like, whatever. And so they kind of got in this argument. They stood their ground. Then they started sharing the court, and every time the seventh grader's basketball went near the eighth grader guy, he'd take their ball and throw it like down the court or whatever. Oh, so yeah. so this fucking high school shit. Like a like a piece of you know. And you know what's funny? My internal feeling when I hear this. I was just gonna ask you: Does your primal dad thing come in? Where you're just uh, like, yeah. bro, it brings you right back to it's, when you were a kid. Huh? It, well, it combines two things that are my like biggest like irritation or things that will set me off. Yeah. One is uh, anytime I see anybody treat anybody that way uh like you know tyrannical or whatever it's, it, a, it's it, a trigger it fucking fires me up yeah. and then it combines it with my dad instinct which is even more like yeah. like <laughs> like I, i'm like in my mind i'm fantasizing about like you know after school finding this kid by himself and just scaring the fuck out of him you know what i mean <laughs> you know just like hey i'll kill you and i'll murder everybody driving you know? up in yeah. this like black van yeah. don't tell anybody out. you know my stepdad did that did i share that story with you guys throw him oh. in there with a bag over his when head. i was in fourth grade i was jumped by two up uh, older kids. So in we had fourth a, grade? Yeah, fourth oh, grade. Damn. So it was, uh, we had a K through eighth school. And these kids were two grades ahead of me. So they were sixth grade and I was fourth grade. And I mean, it wasn't like a major jumping, like a gang jumping. Like they cornered me in the bathroom and they started slamming my head against the mirror and they try to, they try to stuff my head in the toilet and they were just, they were fucking with me. You know what I'm saying? And they're, yeah. then they're older. And so oh, I was, it makes me so mad just to hear that. Oh yeah, bro. I was, I was scared. <laughs> Dude, I was intimidated and stuff like that. And they were two, two of the biggest kids. One of the kids was rumored to be in a gang and stuff like that in school. So it was definitely a very intimidating situation for me to be under. And I remember coming home in fourth grade. I remember crying to my dad and my mom, like, "Oh, you know what ha what had happened?" But nothing happened to the school. Like, school didn't find out, so the kids didn't get in trouble. It was all ha happened in the bathroom, and I got away, you know. So it was all right. Fuck, my stepdad was so pissed, dude. He rolled up the next day at school and like picked me up. Like they never picked me up from school. I always walked or took the bus, and like he was there. He's like, "Where are these kids at?" Oh, and I was like, oh, I don't know, Dad. I don't know this and that. And he's he like, who's he getting mad at me, like putting pressure on me to like, I want to know where these kids are at. And I'm like, well, they're probably walking home from school already, Dad. And they live over this way. Gets in the car, takes off. And it's sure as shit. I see them like by themselves, the two of them walking up this hill. And my dad is like full throttle flying at these kids. Uh. 
And I'm thinking, like, at that time in your head as a kid, you're just like, you're half scared, you're half embarrassed, you're like, go dad, yeah. like, all at the same time. And I'm thinking back now, I'm like, dude, my dad rolled up on a couple sixth graders, <laughs> like, hella hard, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, skids in front of the kids in the car, you know, gets out, slams the door, walks over and gets in, like, both their faces and, like, starts laying into them, tells them, like, obviously you can see that you're a little bit bigger than my son, but you can see how much bigger I am than you. You know, and he gives them, they gives them this whole spiel that... <laughs> He's going to break them in half if they ever touch me again. Yeah. But, I, and I, but I remember thinking now as an adult, I look back like, there's probably a better way to handle that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when that instinct kicks in, man, yeah. that instinct kicks in, it's like you just want to- like you just wanna, It's hard to suppress it. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, what this kid did is he threw the basketball down the, down the court, and my son's friend, another kid who's about the same size as my son, so they're both you know on the smaller side, but not, not tiny, but still these guys are way bigger. And I saw this kid, by the way. He's the eighth grader is my height, so he's a big kid. So he threw the basketball. This other kid's like got in his face, this little guy. He's like, what the hell is wrong with you? And then he pushed this fucking massive eighth grader, pushed this kid that's half his size down on the ground. So then the kid gets up and tries to do like a flying kick at him. <laughs> and the, a and flying the, kick? Yeah, and the, you know, like just, he's probably just angry. Like he doesn't know yeah. what to do. So he's like, ah, you know. Yeah. And then the... <laughs> a, and then yeah. the the, uh, the yard duty or whatever sees it, and you know he gets in trouble or whatever. The, the little guy got in trouble because she didn't see the whole thing. Oh man! So I told my son, I said, "How do you think he handled that?" You know, and she goes, and he goes, "Well, I mean, I think he handled it right." I said, "I think you're right." I said, "You know, uh, again, if you feel like you're in danger, stand up for yourself when something happens. Like, don't show them that you you can be walked on. You're going to be scared. You're going to be intimidated." Right. But stand up to them and, you know, otherwise they're going to continue to do this and, and you need to let them know that that's not okay. You know, it's interesting when I think about this kind of stuff because I go through the same thing with my kids and like how to express, like how to communicate that to them and like what to do in those situations because all you get from teachers and, um, you know, society is to sort of like go get help or go, you know. Or turn the other cheek. I'm like, no, like. Like address it, you know, face to face, you know, man up with, take the lump, do whatever it is. You have to show that like you're willing to face it, you know, and like, uh, and it's such an important thing. Like I, I just think back to like all those. I had a lot of those moments myself where I was getting fucked with, and and like I think it was worse back back then. I feel like it was. At least. It was yeah. hardcore, yeah. and and there was times where I felt like I didn't stand up for myself, and I, I was so pissed when, when I didn't. You know, and like, I, I was thinking about that. Like, did I ever even tell my parents? Never. No, I never did. Never told my parents uh, any of the stuff that happened to me as a kid. Yeah, right. Thinking about it, and uh, that that freaked me out now because I thought that thought crossed my mind, and I'm like, oh my god, I bet my son's like hasn't told me anything yet. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm, I started trying to get like conversations started. You know, with that kind of. Well, that's dialogue. what's so powerful, yeah. what Sal's talking about right now, the fact that you have these conversations. Oh, dude, that was so, like, like, I feel so yeah. blessed that, because- That's great, you can I, talk to you about I it. I didn't you know? talk to my parents about any of that, ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I got jumped several times in junior high by gangbangers or whatever. Yeah. I got a knife pulled on me once, and I didn't say anything to my parents at all. I never opened that communication. I didn't feel like I could, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I had good parents and everything, but I just never felt like I could. So the fact that he even tells me you know, I'm, I'm, I feel really good because it shows that he values my opinion. And he also trusts me, mm -hmm. you know, enough to tell me, and I, I want that to, you know, to, to continue. Well, think of how many, how much of that lesson bleeds over into adult life, man. 
Like how many times are you going to be in these awkward situations or people are bullying you just in a different way? They're not, they're, they're, bullying it, still happens all the way through adulthood. It's just oh in a different way. Oh my God. Let me tell you something. The, the worst travesties of all of humanity uh, didn't, they, they didn't happen because of one person doing all these terrible things. It's because everybody else did nothing. Hmm. Yeah. That's how all this shit happened. Hitler didn't do what he did on his own. It was because everybody else around nobody took a stand. Didn't do anything. And you know, you mentioned something. Uh, you 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 briefly said turn turn the other cheek. It's funny. I was watching this. Uh, uh, that same guy I was telling about Bishop Barron. He was talking about what that actually means. Whenever I heard that, I was always. It didn't really resonate with me because it felt like turn the other cheek. Like you're being a like a felt like a pacifist. Like a pacifist, right? or you're running. Yeah. Like you should defend yourself. Right. And 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 he made an excellent point and. When that, when that saying came out during that time, if you think about it, it was to turn the, uh, let me think, it was to turn the, the right cheek, right? Turn to your right cheek or give them your right cheek. In those, in, those, in those days, people didn't use their left hand because it was considered unfilthy, dirty. Mm-hmm. dirty. So what he, what, what's actually happening is, is somebody's giving you a backhand with their hand on the left side of your face, which is how you would treat like a slave or someone you have contempt for or someone who's just, you're, you're just, you're like, yo, you disgust me and slapping them in the face. <clears throat> and what that saying is, is to stand your ground, stand your ground and turn your face and be like, do that again. And in, in history, we have so many examples of people and people think like, how effective is that? It's the most effective thing we've ever seen mm-hmm. in all of human history. If you look at the great movements that were done by people who didn't have supposed power, like Gandhi or like Martin Luther King Jr., it was the, I'm not going to run, I'm not going to be a coward, I'm not going to fight you back with violence, but I'm going to stand here and I'm not going to bend my character. And that just reflects back to you mm-hmm. what you are. And boy, does that cause Shows you power. your own evil. Right? Shows you your own evil. Yeah. And the power that comes from that. And so it's like, that's what I was trying to explain to my son, like mm-hmm. stand your ground and don't let people, you know, push you around. You will feel scared. You will be nervous. You will be intimidated. That's totally normal. Cause I also don't want to make him think, cause I know this was for me. Like I felt like well, if I'm scared, I'm not a man. I'm not manly. I shouldn't be scared. Well, of course you're gonna be yeah, fucking scared. Everybody's scared. Yeah, man, you're gonna be scared. You got three kids surrounding you. That shit's terrifying. Yeah. Shit is terrifying as an adult if I had three people around me, right. you know, threatening me or whatever. Right. So of course you're gonna feel that. But anyway, so uh, you guys wanna hear some uh, some interesting news? Yeah, what do you got, dude? I got, I got something. So I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's been going viral. So uh, there's this comedian in uh, Scotland who... Now, his story is he was trying to irritate his girlfriend, whatever. Nonetheless, he made these videos with a pug, and he, he taught the pug to, uh, to give the, uh, like the, the Nazi symbol. Every time he said, Hail Hitler, the pug would do it. And he's a comedian, and it, people would laugh and thought it was funny. And it's just this little pug. And so he would say these horrible things to the pug, like, you know, real fast, like, gas the Jews, which is a terrible thing to say. And then the pug would react oh or wake God. up and he'd say, hail Hitler or whatever. And then it would give him the, the, the Nazi salute. Well, for whatever reason, they went viral. A lot of people thought it was, you know, look, and comedy is one of these things that, you know, uh, I don't think comedy should ever be censored. I think some comedy is extremely dark. Um, and that's exactly why many times it's funny is because it's it's dark and it catches you off guard. And comedians are, are if you've ever been around comedians. Extremely dark people. Yeah, yeah. If you've ever been around comedians, the jokes they make with each other are so inappropriate and terrible, but it's because they're comedians. It's their art, right? Yeah. 
So he makes these videos. They go viral. Some people think it's funny. Of course, a lot of people are offended that a pug is, you know, doing the, the Hitler sign or whatever. Well, duh. That's, yeah. that's the joke. And this guy's not a Hitler. He's not a, a Nazi or anything like that. But that's what he says, right? But I did not know this. In the UK, you can get prosecuted for saying stuff like that. So wow. although I personally think stupid joke in probably not, you know, whatever. Well, it's in poor taste, but you know, who are you to like, it's, He's it's, gonna, it's comedy. He could go to jail for it. Yeah. It's he crazy. could go to jail for it yeah. for speech. Well, isn't it, I mean, it's a unique yeah. concept, you know, like this freedom of speech, like isn't Canada doesn't really necessarily have that same, the same like, uh, no, yeah. Laws no, we do with no. That. The U S is by far the most, uh, I guess free speech. Yeah, we 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 value it uh, as a principle, you know. Mm-hmm. And people need to understand, you know. And look, is it going to be hard to get people to agree that uh, teaching a pug uh, to do the Nazi salute is a bad thing, or or to say anything around Nazism or or you know all that stuff? Is it's not going to be hard to convince people that 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 sucks? You nobody wants to hear that, right? Or is it going to be hard to convince anybody that the KKK shouldn't be able to? you know, do a, a, a march outside or whatever, a, you know, a, a sanctioned march or whatever. Right. Like nobody likes that, right? That's that's not hard to convince people. But people need to understand why, why free speech exists and why it needs to be like universal. The reason why free speech exists is, partic- is specifically to protect unpopular speech. Mm-hmm. Now, what's unpopular speech? Well, there's stuff that, you know, like saying racist stuff and stuff like that. Like that's very unpopular and it should be unpopular and I get that. But there's also times in history when speaking out against the government was unpopular or speaking out against the establishment was unpopular or a corporation is doing something that's terrible and you're the one to speak out and that's unpopular because they have a lot of money and they have a lot of lawyers and whatever. So we need to be very careful with persecuting anybody for just saying words. However disgusting and horrible they are, we have to be super consistent and say, look, you know, we can boycott this guy. You what can is, give him a million what is, what is the point of trying to censor that in the first place? Like, think about that. Like, what are we trying to accomplish by censoring that? Think about that. Yeah. It's, it's really, just it's, an, a, it's a blanket to it's people's an, feelings. It's an impossible task. Exactly. And this is why it's impossible. just, this is crazy. This just happened the other day. So I, I'm, uh, reading this book, uh, where emotions come from. Right. And super fascinating read. And day before yesterday, Katrina and I are walking, and we're walking in our neighborhood and we were just kind of quietly walking in and we weren't really talking very much. And I was like, oh, that's, that was strange. And she goes, what? And I said, well, I just caught myself profiling and in my own neighborhood, like I saw in the corner of my eye, somebody parked, pulled up. We were kind of walking together with the boys and someone got out of a, like a kind of a shady looking car. Hmm. It was all beat up, never seen it before. And then guys across the street were kind of saying hi to them. They were all beanied out mm-hmm. and dark sunglasses on and stuff. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> instantly what was firing through my brain is like, you know, I have my girl next to me and my dogs and stuff like that. And I'm kind of like watching them in my corner. And I'm thinking about what's happening in my brain. Like I'm starting to like automatically become on the defense. Mm-hmm. Automatically, I'm already judging these people in a, w- without judging them. I don't say anything. This is yeah. what's personally happening in my sure. brain. But the point is that, we can't control this. No, your brain no. does that naturally. Right. It's it's our brain is designed to be predictive. Everybody. And has so that trait. if you have somebody, I don't care what race, creed, or color you come from, that let's say, for example, it's somebody who hates godly Christian people. But and the reason why they do is because 
you know, they've met 15 people and out of the 15 people, 14 of them have rubbed them the wrong way, whether it be too pushy on them or hypocritical or whatever. That brain, I don't care who the fuck you are, okay? That brain has now patterned a yeah. certain way of thinking because it's been trained that you way. Have a template now. Based off of there. And you can't just unplug that. No, all you can do is be aware of it. Yeah, exactly. Or try to. Exactly. And I think that we all should strive to be better. I think that's, but th- this idea of, we're going to eliminate racist people or judgmental people. Like, no, that's how our brain works. Our brain is designed to put together all of its past, what the past things that it's happened to it, and then with that information and what it's seeing currently right now with its eyes, process what we think is going to happen. Well, here's how you get rid of it. The mm-hmm. way you get rid of it is by letting it be out in the open. Right. And you have discussions. Yeah. So here's what happens when you make stuff like this illegal, okay? When you say, no, you can't say that, we're gonna throw you in jail. First of all, you strengthen it. Yeah, You actually fucking strengthen it. You make it stronger because now they have something to push back against. You have this weird polar shift now. They have like camps like, well, yes, it should be. And then it becomes this weird yeah. argument that didn't even need to be an argument. It's it just be- like, oh, this is ridiculous. This is a ridiculous idea. Somebody joked about it. End of story. That's it. It becomes a thing. And the, you know, uh, so that's one of them. You have something to push out, uh, push back against. You also cause a situation where I have to fucking defend the guy, which is stupid. Yeah. Like I have to defend his right to say some stupid shit. Like I don't like to say that. I don't want to have to defend the guy, but whatever, you know, he should be able to say whatever he wants so long as he's not physically hurting anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other thing too is, don't you want to know who feels that way in the world? You know what right, I'm saying? Right. I'd rather like, I'd rather allow them to express that yeah, so I know. <laughs> do you think do you think making it illegal to say something racist erases racism or maybe it just fucking hides it and people act differently as a result? Why don't we just let it out in the open? Let society react in voluntary ways like boycott boycott the guy's fucking YouTube channel. Send him a bunch of angry emails. Give him a bunch of thumbs Don't down. Don't buy any of his products. Don't buy any of his products. <laughs> He'll fucking learn real quick that yeah. he made a bad decision. Yeah, like, whoops. But to throw him in a cage or jail or to steal his property by fining him or whatever, like, that's that's insane. And also, who are we giving the power to do that? That's, what I want. that's the other thing you want to consider. Who is the authority that can dictate what is proper speech and what is improper speech right it's the same authority that has the guns and i mean the legal guns or the legal ability to use the guns to kill jail or legislate those are the exact people you don't want to give that power to definitely not i don't want to give anybody that who has the power to throw me in jail or has the power to really control me in forceful ways i don't ever want to give them the power to dictate what i can or can't say or what i can or can't read or what i can or can't how i can or can't express myself because who knows what's going to happen right now you have a bunch of uh, uh of liberals who are really fucking scared that donald trump is a president like they're really scared they're calling him hitler the comrade and that's fine i get that you don't like him you know he scares you because his, his views are different than yours i get that but you you wouldn't have to fear the guy if he didn't have this fucking stupid power that we've been giving presidents for the past you know six decades where he could actually do something like, of course that's scary. Like, don't you wish we were in a position where you can just look at the president and be like, wow, that guy's an idiot, but that's okay because he doesn't have the power to really do much yeah. you know, with that. No, they have a lot of power now because we've been giving it to them because every time your friend or the guy you think is cool is in office, all of a sudden, of course, you know, if you like the guy, you're going to be like, yeah, you could 
yeah, I trust you. Yeah, you go ahead and make some laws telling people what they can and can't say. Like, you know, yeah, de- definitely ban the word communism. I don't like communism. Like, I'm fucking anti-communism, right? Would I ever want to ban it and make it an illegal political party in America? No. Right. Because that yeah. same power could be used against me at some point, depending on who's in office. And I don't want to embolden someone by creating that kind of outward force. I want open dialogue, discussion, and I want to defeat it. I want to let the sunshine and you know, air it out. Like let it, let it expose it to the sun. Let's have this discussion, and then I'll beat that. I'll beat yeah. that 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 idea. It's funny because I read another study where they were comparing, uh, you know, people's viewpoints and stuff. And what they found was, if a individual conservative or liberal understood the uh, okay, so what? Let me let me back up. So they did a test. And they took a bunch of conservatives and a bunch of liberals and they gave them this test. And so let's say you're a liberal, uh, you know, your, your political views are liberal. I give you this test and the test is you have to predict how a conservative would answer the following questions or what a conservative believes That's on these particular interesting topics. Study. Then they would do the same for conservatives. And what they found was the more accurate the person was at predicting what the other side would do the less likely they were to demonize the other side and the more likely they were to engage in conversation. Mm. In other words, the more you allow yourself to have see conversation, the see the other side, and try to understand where they're coming from, even though you may disagree, the less likely you are to view them as an evil, demon, you know, killer, horrible person. Yeah. Now, why is that important? Well, I'll tell you why that's important. Because when the person you disagree with, you view them as an evil, literal Hitler... Well, then it becomes justifiable to punch them, shoot them, kill them, throw them in jail. And that is a situation we never want to be you in. You become what you hate. Well, That's right. and, you, and you don't know everybody's circumstances. Like, let's take my, my walking the dogs and like, what if, you know, or people don't, what you don't know was the last, you know, two months, there's been a series of all these car break-ins and mysterious cars that sure. have been parked in our neighborhood. Uh, I was jumped by two guys that looked just like those guys across yeah, the- you don't across, know about, yeah. You don't know that. And so, and then, so I choose to, when they try to say hi to me, I ignore them and I rush into my house, but then I'm, I'm racist or I'm profiling or, well, I guess my brain is doing that, but do you really blame me or is that really, am I really a bad person? Because that's something that my brain registers as danger. This is danger. You've seen this before. It would be almost dumber for me to ignore that and go like, oh wait, I'm not being fair. You know what I'm saying? So I think understanding that perspective is so important on all areas and you can, that applies to racism and political views and everything else that people have they have the what it makes us feel emotional about all these ideas that we're so we feel so strongly connected to is a series of events that we that have happened in our life or just recently or just media or just perception yeah, yeah, based that's on all, social all that stuff right all you your yep. your brain is processing all this information and remember we're 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 downloading like 80 90% subconsciously that we don't yep. even recognize well, and realize one of the that we're best things you can do i talked about this yesterday i was i was being interviewed by another podcast and this topic came up. One of the things you can do to help yourself have a more accurate perception of things, because many times your perception, your well, all your perception is always based on the available information that you're exposing yourself to. So if the available information I'm exposing myself to is creating a distorted perception, then my behavior is going to reflect that. And if you want to be free of that, what you need to do is look at more objective data and expose yourself more to that, so it becomes more, uh, it becomes more accurate. So an example. Um, Jaws. Remember the movie Jaws? Mm-hmm. Okay, so for the young listeners, Jaws was a movie about a shark that uh, killed a bunch of people in the ocean. It was like this horror movie with a shark, okay? When Jaws came out, uh, there was this 
huge nationwide like fear of shark attacks. Right. And because of that, the newspapers started publishing every time there was a shark attack. And so public perception <laughs> was that, oh my God, shark attacks are on the rise yeah. to the point where some beaches actually would have no fishermen- No swimming instead. Well, no swimming. Down. Yeah, or they'd have fishermen go out to go kill oh, sharks. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Now, if you look at the data from that period of time, and I believe Jaws was like in the late 70s and then 80s, something right? Like that. Shark attacks- are extremely consistent, like decade in, decade out. Like they don't, they haven't spiked, they haven't gone down, they haven't <laughs> gone up. It was the same, but the perception changed as a result. Here's another one: if you ta- if you take a, you know a bunch of random strangers right now and you know ask them, is it safer today for kids to go outside and, and do things on their own and play outside and go for walks and stuff like that by themselves? Today, is it safer or more dangerous than it was in the 1970s or the 1980s? The answer, most people will say, well, no, it was safer back then. Like when I was a kid, I used to play outside and I used to have all, you know, do whatever I wanted. It was super safe. Everybody knew each other in the neighborhood. I'm sure we've all heard this before. Mm -hmm. Today, nobody knows each other. It's way more dangerous. I don't let my kids play or whatever. Statistically speaking, if you look at the objective data, that's false. It's actually very false. It's far safer today for children. It's again, it's a perception thing because, you know, Megan's Law is there right, right? And, and now the, the, dude the the fear and the panic of like you know having your kid walk home and and strangers being out there it's like it's heightened you know it's it's all like i, I internalize that even i am guilty of that too totally you know because i used to walk home every day and for like miles right by myself right. <laughs> running into like hobos and yeah. <laughs> fucking rattlesnakes you know and I survived. Yeah. I was fine. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, uh, you know, we get those social media, you know, people will share an article, Ki- you know, kid was kidnapped in Indiana and this happened. So next thing you know, so because your brain is just, it's, it's perceiving based on its available information. So I, what I implore everybody to do is to go look up actual data so that now you have more information that hopefully will give you a more accurate perception on what's going on where, you know, like you see a police, you know, uh, police brutality on TV. Next thing you know, people are thinking, oh my God, cops are out running around beating people. And does that happen? Yes. Is it rare? It is. It's actually quite rare. In fact, you know, police violent encounters are down. Imagine I, my, my heart breaks for police officers. My heart breaks for them because I think that, and I'm sure I'm going to piss somebody off right now. I don't give a fuck. I just think oh, about- Oh, it's you know, how hard it is to be a cop right I, Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I could not imagine. Your job is to be predictive, right? Your job is to, like, in a sense, profile. You've got to, like, be a w- ready for situations like that. That's part of your safety in doing that. And, They'll call it your instincts. Right. But then to, to, to put in place all these things that we have put in place recently, man, it's like- how I, that would be just a mind fuck for me every day at work. Like, oh, I want to make sure yeah. I do this all the protocol How right. Do you check yourself, right? But yeah, my gut yeah, is that, telling me yeah. this is not a safe situation. I probably should do this, right. but if I do that, I'm going to be held to these these standards, and this could potentially happen if they end up not being guilty or this. And it's like, oh, I, I wouldn't. Oh, I, I would just want to pull my hair. The little bit of hair off, I have left. Being a police officer has got to be one of the toughest jobs. Imagine just being on guard. You know what I mean, or being in a situation, it's a state of stress, and then what that I know, I know how I react to my kids when I'm in a heightened state of stress. I overreact on shit totally, all the time. Totally. So that's got to be a very, very difficult situation. And but, you see the worst in humanity a lot yeah. of times. Like oh, you're, terrible you're on shit. call, seeing the worst shit ever, and so it just changes your perspective. That's of, what I'm saying. How could you try and tell that brain, tell that brain who yeah. every day is driving into you know domestic violence and 
drug yeah. wars and gang wars, and you're seeing that every day, every day, every day, People every day. Shot, right? And then, and then yeah. you're then you're, then you're being told like to not think that way, to yeah. not allow your brain to start to think ahead five steps. Yeah. Now and, you're home and and everything's fine, oh, dude. Yeah, yeah. it's it, it's something I go through a lot with my wife because she's like like very very um, conscious and aware of the worst possible thing that could happen to kids. You know, oh, because she's a nurse, yeah, because yeah. she's a nurse, a, you know, pediatric nurse, and so it's like, you know, we've seen like she's seen cases, case after case of like mistreatment of kids, kids falling out of windows, you know, this and that, like horrible, horrible yeah. shit, and so it's like I have to like coach her out of that 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 brain as she comes home and like like a lot of times i don't do a good job all the time but sometimes like like let's talk through it and like get it out you know so that way it's it's like okay you know this isn't this isn't a normal thing Mm -hmm. no i mean you would be surprised at how much you can change yourself by looking at objective data and having conversations with people that you disagree with of course you have to find people willing to have a conversation with you but you'd be surprised at how how much better your perspective becomes or how much more at peace it becomes. Otherwise, you have this kind of angry, scared perspective that tends to develop in humans because it's safe, right? To be kind of either fight or flight and we want to get stuck in that in that space. Uh, and it's not a it's not a good space to be in. You know what I mean? So there's a good, there's a, a website I uh, recommend everybody go to. It's called humanprogress.org. I hope that's the right one. Maybe Doug can see if it's the right one. Humanprogress.org highlights some of the incredible advancements that we've made in the 20th and 21st century, real hard data showing how violence worldwide has gone down, how poverty has been reduced tremendously decades before the United Nations target of reducing poverty, how, you know, people have access to different, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's a great website with objective data. Anytime you're reading the news, you're, you're on social media, looking at the news and you feel like there's no hope, go to humanprogress.org and like, <coughs> Check that shit out, and then you start to feel you start to feel a little bit better, and be like, okay, my perspective was a little bit. Oh, that's really yeah. cool. It was a little bit yeah. off. So anyway, dude, is that is <laughs> that, that a Viore shirt too? Yeah, dude. How many shirts did you get, bro? Kind of keeping that a secret right now. <laughs> <laughs> Are they just sending you shit? I got all the shorts. Uh, yeah, uh, there's there, there's there's uh, benefits to, uh, to to talking to all the contacts. Right? Have you so, worked out uh, in their gear man. yet, or just worn it? No, no. I've I, so I've what I love about it, and it's. I was just gonna ask, how does it feel when you sweat and all that? It feels great. You know, it's they're they're similar, you know, to a pro, and I'm sure they don't appreciate me comparing them to Lululemon because I know they pride themselves on being better and stuff, and their competitor. But, you know, it reminds me of that quality or better of material that I feel like, one, I could work out and sweat in it if I want, but then I also feel like I can go out and I could dress it up a little bit. So it's a, I mean, I love the brand, dude. I'm, I'm really stoked. I actually just did a big order uh, day before yesterday. I'm waiting on uh, my stuff to come in from Viore. It's, I'll have the full get up. So I've got a couple t-shirts now and a pair of pants and a pair of shorts, but I just ordered a bunch of gear. It's a, it's like the most high quality exercise, uh, like clothes I've ever had. Yeah. I've, I've gotten compliments on that. You know, that, that, uh, sweater. You always, yeah. That, that zip up hoodie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've gotten compliments out in the streets. Well, it's like fitted, you know, for me. I don't know what it is, but like. Oh, is that why I'm getting complimented? Yeah, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just feel like, you know, sometimes the, the stitching and, and the way that it, it actually like kind of molds to, to athletic type men is it like there's not a lot of companies that, that sort of organize uh, their clothes to kind of fit in that direction. And I think they've done fit, a really good job. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I know exactly what you're saying. It's like they've, especially for an athletic man. They fit you better. Way because better. When you're athletic, you have you know a little bit wider shoulder, a little bit more muscle, smaller waist. You don't want the big waist. wide you know parachute 
type clothes, like it was shirts or so you get like an XL. It's like, okay, cool. You got my chest and my arms, but now I have a fucking huge like wind sail for a yeah. stomach. Yeah. Thanks a lot. You know, yeah, like, no. yeah you fucked up. Yeah, I'm no. not buying your shit again. No, yeah. no, their cuts are dope, dude. They did. Sure. And, I, and I've washed that hoodie a few times already. And it, the, it doesn't, it's, I mean, it, ha- it, it handles the wash and you know, sometimes oh, you dude, wash something. The material is so nice. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. So one more, one more real quick uh, piece of news. Breakthrough study, okay. Whoa, <laughs> like try, try to try to maintain your your excitement. <laughs> yeah, just busting through. You're both about to learn some crazy shit. This just blows. This should blow everybody's mind in here right now. This was a right. Harvard Medical School study, just published March 2018. You ready for this? Here's the title, the headline. I don't know how. Who would have guessed this? Weight training, weight training, helps maintain muscle mass in overweight adults. Stop it. Wait, <laughs> Stop right there. They Boom! Did a, they how, did it. Who, how, who how much do we... I was going to say, who pay, I want to say, who, who pays for these studies? I can't... Chocolate I can't even, tastes good. I can't even believe... Why would anybody... Uh, yeah, why are they doing this? Hey, look, if you touch water, you'll get wet. New did, study. Did Professor Obvious... Uh, no, Dr. Obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. <laughs> did, did he do the study? It's so stupid, but you know what, though? picked on him But you know what, though? I'm not trying to, you know, obviously I'm making fun of him because they, they just published some obvious bullshit, but... And, he, and this is what... It, this highlights a couple things. It highlights why the medical establishment is and will always be until they completely change their approach behind when it comes to health. It just are. Yeah. You want to get the best health information? You got to listen to like really smart podcasts, uh, listen to us, listen to, you know, people on the cutting edge, functional medicine doctors who are reaching out and doing different things. That's where you're going to get the, 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 the real good cutting edge information. The rest of medicine takes them like, it's, it feels like it takes them like 10 years sometimes. Well, oh, not only so that, it's really hard for just a normal consumer because I was never somebody who would like, I'm, I'm not like you where I like, I'll just go on PubMed and start reading. Like, like you are, you'll like open PubMed up and just read for the day. Like yeah. I just don't do that. So a lot of times it's really tough to decipher how many of these, these studies are biased or not even really that valid. I, I would, I would argue that more than half the studies that we see surface are either uh, you know promoted by a business that has a desired outcome going into the study, or the study is almost doesn't matter because it's like a small test group and it's like I could have bad controls. Well, yeah, so yeah. it's like and you have to have some experience to sort of decipher between like what sounds like bullshit and what doesn't. Like even to begin with, like if you're a consumer, like you you put a lot of trust out there into like whatever media source you're you're pulling from to kind of vet that well, for you. Well, sometimes it's important to like listen to uh, a, a anecdote. I know, I know, I'm, I just you know said a bad word, but sometimes like like if they just if they just did a poll of you know we polled a thousand trainers and a thousand trainers unanimously agreed that weight training maintains muscle mass in overweight adults. Like that's what would happen. You could have done that ten years ago. You could have done that twenty years ago, and the trainers would would have known that. You know what I'm saying? But right. they 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 paid. But here's the good news with it. The good news is when when places like Harvard and Stanford and when it starts to go mainstream, what's going to happen is what you know we talked about, and I think I might have been the one to, to specifically say that I think in the future, maybe ten or twenty years from now, maybe ten years, 
that the recommendation for fitness will no longer be 30 minutes of cardiovascular activity. It will be resistance training. Oh, I, I think you're so right about that that I think yeah. it's going to happen before 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's around the corner, man. I think that's... Because they're, they're gonna, they're gonna, it's going to be like cardio, some benefit, not even close to what resistance training can do, especially for aging adults. Mm-hmm. So I think doctors are going to tell people... Hey, listen, you know, uh, I need you to exercise, but here's what you need to do. You need to lift weights. It's interesting because I feel like, you know, the standard has been more focused on high performance athletes as being sort of the model of, you know, healthy pursuits, right? Like, I feel like even like in the study realm, we've always studied high performance athletes. And so I feel like a lot of the ideas come from from that objective. Like, so we're, we're trying to test their cardiovascular, uh, you know, output and their threshold and this and that. Whereas, you know, if we start really just looking into what benefits us long term and, and our health and, and mm-hmm. what that even looks like, it, it's going to look so different. Oh, no, that's that's such a great point, Justin, because one of the things that drives me crazy is that we, we all get into these debates over semantics, dude, like, you know, oh, should I eat at the 30 minute window after I get done with my workout? Yeah. Or, you know, is it better to put this exercise before that exercise? And like we get into all these little finite details that don't even matter that much. Meanwhile, this person's been struggling psychologically they're not sleeping they've got stress they've got all these other th- other big rocks in their bag that they're not even realizing there's a way better place to focus but that's not how we market to people no right? and so here's my other prediction when resistance training becomes the advert the thing that doctors recommend for exercise i foresee personal trainers and fitness uh, trainers becoming a part of could be good could be bad of the medical system to where you know, they say you need to lift weights. However, resistance training, let's be honest, way more complicated than cardio. You could just tell someone to go for a walk. That's easy. Yeah. Lifting weights, there's a lot of moving parts. That too, yeah. I foresee there being more partnerships where a forward-thinking you know, organization like Kaiser, which in many ways I think they've been pretty forward-thinking, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, will we'll be able to hire trainers on or affiliate with them and say, okay, go work with this person who can teach you how to lift weights. Or maybe they'll have programs that they'll sell themselves. Yeah. Who knows? That might already be happening, actually, yeah. some of these Well, things. it's interesting. I actually, one of my first like jobs as kind of a personal trainer, I actually was shadowing a personal trainer when I was in Chicago, was this really forward-thinking hospital that had on site, they had a a gym and uh, it was very much of a, like a a very high-end gym, but like, you know, you had physical therapists, you had like everybody like in-house all under one roof treating people and running their programming. So it was, uh, it was like, I saw that really early, so I know the thought is there. Well, remember it's just we, not popular yet. Remember our boys with Training Slate? You know, our boys, I don't know. They're trying what, to connect everybody. Yeah, yeah the, which is kind of the just, software. Yeah, right. same mm-hmm. concept where your doctor, your PT, and your personal trainer in, in Cairo mm-hmm. and whatever are all kind of communicating together on one platform. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely think that's the future. I think integrating everybody like that. And, you know, I think a, an Uber type of system would work amazing too, like that too. I mean, if you're a, a bad trainer, you're only going to be a bad trainer after a couple of clients because real soon here, you're going to have two stars and nobody's going to want to do business and work with you. And if mm-hmm. you're an exceptional trainer, and you get great ratings and rankings like that, you're going to probably have, be able to charge more. And have, be interesting. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be really And by cool. the way, when we when I mentioned uh, studies and stuff like that, um, if you ever want to read them yourself, you can go to our uh, show notes page. Uh, we actually put a lot of things in the show notes, some pretty cool links and stuff, sometimes giveaways, but uh, definitely the studies that we, we mentioned. And the show notes are on mindpumpmedia.com. Just go to the podcast tab, and you can do this for all the episodes. There's a lot of great information in the show notes. Go check it out. This quaz brought to you by Organifi. 
For those days you fall short on getting your organic veggies or whole food nutrition, Organifi fills the gap with laboratory-tested certified organic superfoods to help give your health and performance the added edge. Try Organifi totally risk-free for 60 days by going to Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And use the coupon code MINDPUMP for 20% off at checkout. First question is from VSO Lifestyle. Do you guys think that young men are losing their sex drive? My roommates and I have all agreed that the guys we have seen over the last year or so have really low sex drives. Maybe it's due to their age, early 20s, they're graduating from school, starting new jobs, etc. But it's been kind of frustrating from our perspective. As we all agree, sex is very important in a relationship, especially at this age. (laughs) This is a woman saying this, a girl? Yeah, yeah God, she's going to get so many DMs. After <laughs> I can you know help I mean? you with that. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, you're looking for more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Guess yeah, what yeah, I got. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Here come the dick Is he pigs. dropping the ball? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Here's the thing. Uh, her speculation may actually be accurate. Millennials are having less sex than previous generations. Okay. Yeah, you've said that. That's that's that's, crazy a, that's a statistic that you can look up. Um, testosterone levels have been declining now for decades, so it's not a new thing, but they have been declining. And and real statistics now: erectile dysfunction numbers are spiking in one age group of men, and and it's in an age group that has never been associated with uh, erectile dysfunction and that's men in their 20s that's never that's like that was so rare for a man who's 20 you know three years old unheard of right but today and it's not a lot still not a lot but it's just a spike from where it used to be where all of a sudden young men now are having erectile dysfunction here's what i think here's the reason why i think this is going on do i think it's a lower testosterone perhaps although individual variances can be quite dramatic so someone can have higher testosterone so that might play a role in it I think personally, the proliferation and ease of accessibility to yes. pornography is causing a lot of these problems. And and I'm not saying that because I'm that and Tinder. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. That's, we'll, we should go there too. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. Um, you know, I'm not being some you know, like pious, like you know, moral, you know, authority about this either. Like pornography is great. I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of it. I get it. <laughs> He's like, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> subscriber <laughs> to Pornhub. Yeah, yeah. Just, go ahead and say it, bro. Yeah, yeah, I'm, a, yeah. I'm, I'm a gold member. Gold star member. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get the special deals. No, but here's the thing. You can see the actual studies, the actual studies that have been done on this. What happens, first and foremost, is uh, men's brains in particular are wired for novelty. Novelty is one of many factors, but it's one factor that causes us to become aroused. Now, evolutionarily speaking, uh, there's probably some benefit to this, right? Uh, you know, if you, you get aroused by a new person, you're more likely to impregnate more people or whatever. It's probably leftover animal instincts. Um, that being said, men have never been exposed to tremendous novelty. We just weren't. There's a limiting factor there, and that is society and women. Women are a huge limiting factor. And historically speaking, across all major cultures, women were the controllers of that. It was the women that said, no, no, no. And it was the men that wanted more and more and we were kind of controlled and we just didn't have tons of variety anyway. The only people that had tremendous amounts of variety and uh, novelty were kings or uh, you know celebrities, rock stars, like super rare situations. Like, ne- like it's never common for a dude to just have you know, as many women as he wants, all different women, whenever he wants. It, it's super, super rare. It just doesn't happen. 
But what we have now with pornography is this crazy accessibility to this extreme visual novelty. And men, men are also... It's like we went to 31 flavors and we just ate all the ice cream. Dude, all the time. It's all like having it. it all in front of you. Well, you made the point, Justin, about Tinder. And I, I would agree with that, too. I think, And I remember, I think I brought this up to you guys. This might have been an off-air conversation that a good buddy of mine was talking about because he's still in the single dating life and he uses Tinder and all these other apps. And he goes, you know, there's less there's less motivation to do it. It's so easy. It's so easy to find a, another person of the opposite sex to have sex with mm-hmm. every night that you potentially want to, that it's less appealing. Mm-hmm. So going back to Sal's novelty theory, I 100% think that, and, and then you add in uh, Instagram. I mean, even though it's not Pornhub, you the the amount if you if you're following a ton mm-hmm. of these bikini models and hot chicks that are doing ass shots all day long like you're just getting flooded with all of this information that your brain is downloading all day long and you're getting stimulated through that you're getting stimulated through Pornhub you also know that anytime i absolutely need it i can get on tender and go hook up with somebody and so i think that's naturally d- driving the the hunt down for for yeah. the for, for the, the value right. ha- so what's happened with sex is and this has happened over over decades by the way this isn't a new problem it's just start it's culminating and it's getting worse is that sex has lost a lot of its uh of its uh, original value, I should say. Sex now more than ever, and this started sometime in probably the during the sexual revolution of the 60s, sex is now becoming more about physical pleasure and novelty and fun and less about connection and you know procreating and all the other things that have always been connected Starting to sex. Starting a family. Right, it's, it's all. It's always talks about. It's that. always been connected to sex, but now it's all of a sudden this this novelty thing that we do all the time, and that's just and that's pornography is a part of that. Now, pornography itself isn't isn't evil or bad, but if you're what in this, by the way, they've done studies on this. What happens to the brain, the male brain, when he's constantly exposing himself to uh, different forms of visual stimulation, is you desensitize your brain or desensitize your body to visual stimulation. Now, anybody who's ever looked at a lot of porn can tell you, if you look at a lot of porn, the porn that you watch starts to get more and more fetishized and more and more extreme as you continue to look at it because the original porn you looked at no longer stimulated your brain. Look, I know this as a man, when I was had no access to pornography, if I just saw a boob, not even a bo- side yeah. boob, right? Yes, you know, it was like whoa, side boob Sunday. Then when you're exposed to that shit all the time, is that a thing? That doesn't do it for it me. Was. Anymore. It was it was a hashtag for a minute? Yeah. Was it really? Mm. What was I the thing? It. Side boob Sunday? No, <laughs> you followed it. Yeah, bro. <laughs> I was like, ooh. Yeah. So, and what happens is the brains become desensitized. So now, when they're with a normal human girl, it's like it doesn't work. Right. Can't get it up. In yeah. fact, in fact. This is actually an alarming trend. I've actually read quite a bit into this because I have a young, I have a boy, I have a son, and he's entering into the age where his testosterone levels are starting to kick up. He's going to start really noticing the opposite sex and all that stuff, and he has access to technology and all that stuff. So I've done a lot of research in this, and there's a lot of young men who are saying they prefer pornography to having sex with a girl because it's easier and it's not, you know. Oh, bro, and it's comfortable because it's with yourself. You and don't get rejected. Yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. feel shy. She's not going to think you have a little dick. There's all kinds yeah. of pros for a young teenage boy who's growing up. Like, that's a very, 
<laughs> insecure time for you as a man. Like, am I am I normal? Am I not? Mm-hmm. Like, that's all the things that are going through your head. Oh, this is much safer. I don't need to go out and meet girls. I'll just watch them on this screen, and that gets me excited enough to. And then it, we all know what happens as soon as you ejaculate. Then it's no more big. It's no yeah. big deal anymore. Yeah. You're over yeah. it, right? Yeah. 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 No, I. My, I mean, I think it's a combination of all these things. I, I think that's what we're seeing. If you want to raise your sex drive, and you're um, a man. Um, you have the physical stuff you can do, right? Lift heavy weights that helps build the testosterone. Eat a good diet, adequate fats. Get That's something sleep. you didn't talk about right there, too. I mean, you've talked about this before. Is how about just guys are guys are more feminine, metrosexual now too. It's a it, you, and not lifting weights as much, and they're more. It, it, they're, you you have this more well, femi- activities definitely drop. Yeah, definitely just, drop. Just all together, all those yeah. things matter, right? And activity does raise uh, testosterone levels. So you know. Lift heavy weights, get good sleep, eat adequate fat. So those are all the physical things you could do. But here's the emotional in, in stuff that you could do that will increase your sex drive. Don't watch porn. Now, I'm not yeah. saying this because it makes you a moral, better person. I'm saying this because when you don't watch porn, give yourself a month of doing that and then watch what happens when you notice a girl walk down the street or when you go hang out with your girlfriend or whatever. All of a sudden, it becomes very stimulating because just like when you avoid sugar, it's no different. If you eat, all you ever eat is processed sugar all the time, it's gonna, it starts to lose its flavor. It starts to lose its, 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 its taste and then you go eat an apple and it tastes super bland. If you avoid sugar for a long time, watch what happens to the taste of actual fruit. It becomes sweeter your, your, your receptors it's the open same up. with ass it's the same <laughs> yeah it's the same exact thing so avoid pornography and aim for a deeper connection than something that's just fleeting and then watch what happens to your sex drive when you talk to a girl and you say to yourself i'm going to get to know her a little bit instead of just try to have sex with her and look if you just want to have sex too that's there's nothing wrong with that but what i'm saying is try to have a different connection don't look at pornography and watch your primal instinct starts to kick start to kick in and, and it feels good it feels good to be that way it feels good to not be that way where you you know where, where you're not stimulated by a human you know that's right next to you a flesh and blood person next question is from Ari Perkins could you explain what it means to fatigue the central nervous system are some exercises more likely to fatigue the CNS than others mm. this is kind of a cool question because it I feel like it's Similar to uh, the post that our our good buddy uh, Doctor Andy Galpin put up, yeah, not that long ago uh, about how you know this talk about the central nervous system affecting our workouts and kind of making it sound like it was overrated. Mm-hmm. And uh, I commented below, and I haven't heard back from Andy. I sent him a message now that we're bringing this question up because I would love because I think he's a brilliant guy. I think he articulates himself really well. I don't think he's dogmatic at all. So I think he would, this would be a, an incredible discussion. Mm-hmm. But I I disagree with him. Mm-hmm. And what I what I disagree with is that I, I don't like when uh, anybody, scientists, doctors, whoever, separate systems of the body and think that we can study just that system. Good, and, great point. And not and not think that all the other ten systems aren't affecting that one. I think, I, and I think if I had him sitting right in front of me, I would say that to him, and he would agree. I mm-hmm. think I would say, you know, I know you're trying to take this out and separate it and say that hey, just training super super hard doesn't naturally it doesn't necessarily affect our CNS to where you can't come back and do another hard workout again. And I would argue to say that okay, well frying yourself or pushing yourself that hard definitely has carryover into the other systems and now they're lagging because of that and then that intentionally that actually indirectly can affect the workout the next day so i would love to have a healthy debate and and discussion 
with him over this, but without him, I, I think you would agree, Sal, right? That Yeah, well, so central nervous system for, you know, you have your central nervous systems like your brain, your spinal cord, and then you have the peripheral, which is the things that activate your muscles or the muscles themselves, and they can all fatigue differently, right? You can, one or the other. Now, here's a difference, or here's, here's my point, it really doesn't matter. If I go to the gym and I'm tired, or I feel burnt out, and my central nervous system if you were to test it in a lab and say, no, your central nervous system's not fatigued. It seems to be firing just fine. Does it matter? Right. Does yeah. it really matter? I don't, think it, I don't think it makes a difference. So when we say things like, you know, uh, don't hammer your central nervous system or your CNS is getting fatigued or whatever, you know, yeah, we're referring to something specific, but really more generally, and what the takeaway really is, is that how you feel makes a big fucking difference. And sometimes muscle soreness isn't necessarily telling you the whole story. Like, I worked out, my muscles were sore, now they feel recovered, they're not sore anymore. Does that mean I'm fully recovered? No, you could still be fatigued, you could still be you could still be in a state where it's not optimal that you push yourself super hard. I think uh, our, your own subjective opinion of how you feel still trumps all these other things. I think that it, Galpin would challenge you and say that it does matter. You know, I think it, it it does matter, it does, you know, se- separating the systems and if you and it would be good for you to actually challenge the body because we're either adapting or optimizing, right? That's what sure. he would say. He would say that it's good to put your body in these states where you, it's not optimal, that you are kind of right. stressed out a little bit, that your body is fatigued a little bit, and then you get into this workout and you know to push through that is going to force the body to adapt and you're going to see these benefits from it. So I think there's this fine line of where we agree and disagree on a topic like this because there are some benefits potentially to those some of those days where you may not feel like it, you may feel kind of yeah. fried, and then pushing through that, and then other times, I think where you have to There's really- There's a lot of gray lines with it, right? Right, I think- So that you- it, I think that's where his post might've come from, more like people that are divisively like, you know, well, if I did this, if I did just legs and I fried them, and, and then that, now I'm correlating that to my entire central nervous system, then I can't train hard my upper body or, or you know, like there's, there's like sort of like somebody that's, that's dividing a line between like what muscle groups that I worked, you know, and then going into that is there carryover into other muscle groups. And, you know, like, it, so what you guys are saying, like, makes a lot of sense as far as like, you know, the overall, like, like how, how you feel does play a huge factor into the workout. But is, is that in, is the intent of the workout for me to overcome, uh, you know, those feelings or is it to work with my body at that point? So here, let me give you an example of what I'm trying to talk about. So a a long time ago, maybe over, I want to say about 10 years ago, I first heard the term adrenal fatigue, uh, you know, being uttered by, you know, functional medicine practitioners or wellness people. And they would say things like, Oh, you have adrenal fatigue, and here's the symptoms, you know, that someone would, you know, they would rattle off all the symptoms that they had, you know, they were tired, cold, clammy hands, uh, they, you know, they, they needed lots of caffeine to stay awake, um, they didn't recover well from exercises. I mean, I could go down the list of all, you know, common food, lots of food intolerances, whatever. So I could go down the list of things that were adrenal fatigue. Now, what happened is scientists and doctors laughed and said, you're an idiot because the adrenals don't get fatigued. Here's, here's the studies that show they, the adrenals are producing the same levels of hormones as they were before. And okay, great. That's nice. We use the wrong name. It still doesn't explain why there's this, this, this combination of symptoms that is seen consistently in a certain number of people and that the treatments that we're giving them is fucking working and helping them out. So that doesn't explain that. And so 
we got the name wrong. I get it. Like that was just them speculating. That, okay, the adrenals get fatigued. The, the, a more accurate term for that would be HPA axis dysfunction, hypothalamus pituitary and adrenal axis dysfunction, where they communicate each, with each other and hormones may be off or the way the body responds to them. It's much more complex, and that's a better name for it. The same thing for leaky gut syndrome. People laughed at it. Oh, the gut's not leaky. What are you talking about? Now they renamed it, you know, intestinal hyperpermeability. Now they say, okay, that's fine. So central central nervous system fatigue is the CNS itself getting fatigued? Well, right, studies it's a labeling. Well, issue. studies will show that the CNS uh, recovers very quickly and doesn't have that kind of fatigue. Fine, but that still doesn't that's that doesn't that's not really the point. The point is when I train clients and they come to me and their muscles aren't sore anymore, but I can tell that there's some fatigue going on or they're not feeling great. I'm going to adjust the intensity of the workout and change it, mm-hmm. and their body's going to respond even better versus, oh, your central nervous system's fine. CNS fatigue is a myth, largely. Let's fucking hammer you anyway right. type of deal. Right. So when we communicate that to people, that's kind of what we're trying to say. Well, and it, it depends on who we're communicating to, too. So I, I'm communicating this this topic different to whoever's sitting in front of me. Yeah. If I have you know, the the super overweight guy who never works out, never pushes himself, never moves, like getting that guy to get out of his comfort zone and push him and stretch him and get him to adapt and change is something important. Now, if I'm sitting here talking to a competitor or somebody who considers themselves a serious, you know, athlete or somebody who works out a lot, my concern is the opposite. My concern is like this person is probably forcing their body to adapt all the time. They're not ever spending time optimizing. Mm -hmm. And there's some benefits to you actually focusing a little bit on optimizing and letting yourself recover a little bit and not constantly being in this stress state all the time. So Right, right. I mean, there's other things that may be happening that are causing what we've experienced and seen when we've trained people and why this information is actually the way we communicate it is accurate in its application. And by the way, we're not the ones to invent it. Uh, the When the Iron Curtain came up and the Soviet Union dissolved, we got all these incredible, they invested so much money in studying uh, their weightlifting athletes that we see now that the way they trained really was less about hammering the muscles and more about training the whatever you want to call it, but we call it the central nervous system, how effective it was. So the applications are, are still appropriate, but it may be something else. It may be neurochemical, maybe neurotransmitters that are you know changing, upregulating, downregulating. That can have effect on how you feel. Nonetheless, training your body to fire more efficiently and effectively is definitely somehow a function or connected to the function of the central nervous system mm-hmm. in some way. Not quite sure what it is. Maybe not the CNS itself as a as a as a you know mechanism, but it may be other things that are connected to it or that communicate to it that are causing the problem. Nonetheless, uh, the, the the advice is the same. Like train your body if you if you don't pay attention to how you feel subjectively outside of just your muscle soreness and damage like stuff like that. You're going to be in a, for a lot of uh, a lot of pitfalls with yeah, your training. In a rude awakening at some point. That's right. Next question is from Greg Kelland, PT. You guys talk a lot about priming and mobility warm-ups. What is your idea of a quality cool-down for resistance training? Mm. I like to do, for me personally, I like to do at the end of my workout is similar to what I do at the beginning of the workout with one uh, with one main difference. The end of the workout is typically where I will incorporate uh, static stretching and or uh, foam rolling. So it's at the end of the workout. Now, the reason why I do it at the mm-hmm. end of the workout is because static stretching at the beginning of the workout can cause weakness in the muscles. 
It can cause the the CNS to tell the muscle to be a little weaker. It can maybe improve, actually increase risk of injury. We used to think it decreased it, but it actually increases it. And it can give me more range of motion without strength within that range of motion. But at the end of my workout, when my muscles are warmed up, they've been worked out, you know, everything's fired the way it should. I like to do my like, you know, my my uh, what's that the, the certification class that was here recently? FRC. With, uh, FRC yeah. stuff. I like to do my mobility work. I like to get into deep stretches and then relax in those stretches so it's more of a static stretch. And then while I'm after I relax for a second, activate those muscles. My goal at the end of my workout is to increase range of motion in the areas that really need. Isn't that interesting how that's changed? I was going to interject, but like how foam rolling just as the example, like where I used to do that before every time, like that was like, you know, the go-to to to really open me up and get me ready and kind of prime me into the workout where, you know, we've, we've sort of honed in on on a more effective way to do that through mobility and through these different practices, but very similar to, to what you're describing, but I do focus a lot more on the tension uh, elements uh, after my workout. It's like you're solidifying the signal. Right. So whatever it was that I know, um, you know, I can, I want to, I want to be able to improve that one component of my mechanics or whether that's within my squat, deadlift, you know, overhead press, you know, whatever very specific gross motor movement I'm, I'm focused on that I, I know that like doing certain poses, you know, where I'm, I'm, I'm fully retracted. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm squeezing, I'm tensing my muscles up to, to form into place and, and recognize that. So yeah, holding it, you know, for, for, you know, a longer amount of time than I would in the beginning of my workout is really the focus of that. Yeah. You want to think of the beginning of your workout priming is you're trying to set the stage for the right signals to be set, or at least the, the the signals that you want or the direction of the signals that you want to be sent. That's what priming is all about. At the end of the workout, the goal is to solidify what you just what you just did. So it's similar, but it's still different. Mm-hmm. And it's those static stretches at the end that I that I tend to enjoy. The other thing I like to do at the end of a workout that it's now staple for me is I, uh, I, I take a cold shower, always. I always do that at the end of my workout. Now I know that's not necessarily good for maybe the sending the muscle building signal, maybe blunting a little bit, but I tend to push myself a little beyond anyway. And so I appreciate the reduction in inflammation that I get from it, but I also appreciate the, it's like a cup of coffee. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. Like take a cold shower and watch how energized you are for the next hour or two. It just works so well. And because I work out in the morning before I come here, cold showers, like hundred percent, a part of my workout. I teen, I tend to uh, this varies a lot for me. It really varies off of what I'm currently focusing on. Now, I've had most of my success with picking one or two areas that I really want to drill home and and improve on uh, my mechanics and not overwhelming myself with all the shit that I need to do because there's a ton. There's a ton of areas that I need improvement on always. And I feel like if I try and do this full cool down routine that is like fortifying my body's position for all these different uh, movements or where I need to be to be in neutral spine, like I feel like I don't address it enough to, to see this change. And so what I've done is I'll take a couple movements that I really want to solidify and I'll, I'll prime before with these types of movements and then I'll do something else, maybe along the lines like what Justin's saying as far as more of an isolation exercise. So I'll give you an example of my, my current focus so, I can, so people can understand how I'm applying this theory. So right now, I, I just mentioned on the show a couple of shows ago that 
you know, I, I, I can feel myself rounding forward now because I haven't been training for a while. So I have this forward head and this forward shoulders. And so I have the, the clubs. So I'm working on shoulder uh, mobility. I'm doing all my, my wall stuff. And then at the end of my workout, after I've worked out pretty hard and I've got my little sweat going on, I want to cool down. I actually like to just lay on the floor and the floor I'm using as feedback. So I know I know what the position my hips, my shoulders, and my head need to be in to be in this like nice neutral spinal alignment, right? And I know where I'm I'm excessively arching in my low back. I I can feel where my head wants to be forward. And laying on the ground, I get this nice little feedback of all these points. And I'll just kind of lay there and I'll I'll start to rotate my hips. I'll press my low back flat. I'll tuck my chin and and make sure that my head is nice and level and my ears are neutral with my shoulders. And I'll just kind of get these holds. And it, it, it's a it's a little core workout for me. I can feel my my core working just to keep my all those points of contact. And I'll do a hold for like 15 to 30 seconds and then I'll release breathe a little bit, go back. It's a really nice way for me to cool down right now. And it's just really addressing this, you know, upper cross syndrome that I have going on right now. And so I'm just really trying to drill that home. Now, using that as an example, that was completely different just last year. Last year, a lot of my energy and focus was around my hip and my ankle mobility. And so what I would do after a workout is I'd sit in these deep squats, this Mm -hmm. baby position, and I would kind of just get comfortable down in there and then I would create tension by letting my knees roll forward over over my toes and then trying to lift my toe like a combat stretch but in the in kind of this you know deep uh, squat position and so I would just really and all I'm really trying to do is you know pick an area or one or two things that I really want to feel and improve it now why I, I I choose this way of doing things is that I feel like if that's all I'm thinking about like then when I'm at home I'm doing it and then when before my workout after my workout, it really allows me to 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 measure uh, the change of it by applying something towards it. Then I can go back and say like, "Whoa, when I really am in, in good posture and I really focus on the, my upper cross syndrome, it really makes a difference in all of my workout, in my low back pain, or how I feel throughout the day." This is a staple. This is something I can't let go mm-hmm. of in my routine, and it, it, then it stays solidified forever. And then I kind of move on to the next piece. Right? Yeah. I mean, think about it this way: working out in general. Not always, but working out in general is typically this sympathetic state, right? It's this uh, this elevated state of energy. Like when I'm lifting weights, that's you know, it's it's I'm releasing cortisol. I'm I'm high energy. The music's a little louder. I'm pushing myself. So it's a really hard workout. When you're done, that's when the recovery starts. That's when the adaptation starts. So the what what you do at the end should help facilitate that. And, and that's why I think one of the reasons why I like the static stretching or maybe why I like to sit in that squat or whatever is at the end of the workout, and that's why they call it, I mean, look at the name, cool down, warm up, cool down. It's like you're, you're trying to get your, 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 yourself in more of a sympathetic state in the beginning, and at the end, you're trying to go parasympathetic. And so I like to do the deep stretches, relax a little bit, get my body to kind of chill out a little bit. And so that, that might be your best approach is after your workout, give yourself five to 10 minutes to, you know, you finished your intense workout, you had a great workout. Now I'm trying to get everything to kind of calm down a little bit. Eating is part of that. I can see why the there's, you know, people, a lot of people like to eat right after the workout. Cause that also induces that parasympathetic state, right? That rest and digest. Although that may not be great for everybody. Um, if you're healthy, it's fine. But yeah, it's that, it's that for me, at least the, the way I visualize it, I'm trying to induce this more parasympathetic state, 
getting me to relax a little bit and start that kind of, you know, uh, regenerative process. Next up is Michael Salzel. Thoughts on how a sedentary lifestyle is now the new smoking. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Ooh. Yep. It's because smoking has dropped in in popularity uh, over the last couple decades, because a lot of people used to smoke. A lot of people don't realize this. It was, uh, oh, dude. When I was in Chicago and I was working as a waiter and a bartender, there was there was still sections just for smoking and the smoke would come like it would just billow out and, and fill the entire restaurant. And I just couldn't believe it, you know, cause from California, they were like one of the first to kind of institute a lot of these laws where you couldn't smoke anymore. It became right? socially unacceptable here too. Right. Yeah. And so I, I had a hard time with that, man. It was just like, and I, I would get pissed, you know, going to work cause you smell like it and like you're oh. breathing this air that was just toxic and it would fuck me up. Now man. that being said, I don't know if, the sedentary lifestyle will ever get to that point where it's socially unacceptable. I think it's really interesting to speculate on That's that. That's a good point. Mm. Like, I don't know if it'll ever get to a point where... Well, smoking had the whole, like, you got to smell someone else smoking thing going forth that made it so bad right right it was like invasive just, yeah, right yeah exactly like occupied your space exactly yeah. so that's why i don't know if it's i don't know if it's fair and i know like we like to compare everything to smoking right the, the new scrolling on instagram is the new smoking <laughs> and like we like to try and compare everything to that because it's we we've demonized it so much so but in in that aspect i don't know if we're going to you know, I don't think you're going to walk into like a restaurant and you see this like really overweight person like sucking down a milkshake and be like, I can't believe you're doing that in here. You know, Shame. Like, yeah, 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 shaming them or something right. like that. Like, yeah. I don't I don't know if I see that, but no, I feel like we're moving the opposite direction. I, 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 acceptable. Right. I do think that it's a fair analogy or comparison when you think about like how, how detrimental it could potentially be for your body. In fact, I would argue that the sedentary lifestyle could be worse than smoking. That being so sedentary and the way we're going right now with how little we move around, that that I I think you could actually be somebody who's healthy, exercising, moving, dieting correctly, and smoking your whole life, and you may arguably be in a better position than the person who doesn't smoke their entire life, but chooses to not move more than four or 5,000 steps a day, doesn't exercise and eats whatever the fuck they want. I would argue that that person is in more danger than the person who's smoking every single day. Well, right? yeah. And think about like accountability amongst your peers. Like, you know, there's no, there's no like talking to people like, Hey man, I think, you know, I don't know if you should have that ice cream. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's a conversation that doesn't really come up anymore. Like, you know, if somebody's smoking, it's like, hey, man, like, we got to talk. Right. Yeah. You know? What the hell are you doing? Mm. You know, like, nobody's there, like, judging, uh, you know, people at the the state of their, uh, you know, progressing their uh, tendency towards obesity. Like, it's it's now, it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's a weird, it's a cultural thing. Like, it's, it's becoming like, you know, we're making clothes specifically mm. to fit into this new model, this new size that we're all becoming. Uh, it's, so I, I just looked up some statistics while you guys were uh, were talking there. And first off, in 1965, over 40% of adults, uh, American adults smoked. So that's how big it was back then. Uh, today, it's closer to like 16%. So huge reduction in smoking. But of course, during that same period of time, a huge increase in being sedentary. And in countries like in European countries where people move more or more active and have healthier diets, but smoke more, like you go to Italy, for example, way more people smoke there. Yeah. And yet they have, you know, They're lower, all over the place. They have lower rates of, of heart disease and stuff than the U.S. The U.S. has one of the, 
you know, has some of the worst health records in the in the world, and we also smoke the least. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of factors there, in your diet and, and how much you move. I I think Adam, you make a pretty good point. It could could be much worse. So I looked up some statistics, and if you sit for more than six hours a day, it is as bad as smoking a pack of cigarettes every day. Statistically what? speaking, wow. Yeah. What? Yeah. Wow, that is a crazy. And let's statistic. be honest, who the fuck doesn't sit six yeah. hours a day? Yeah. 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 Our jobs, I mean, that's that's exactly what we Damn, into. where did you get that, right? Yeah. That's an infographic that I just found, and it was based on a 14-year study of 123,000 U.S. men and women, and they found that the, the, the risk of, uh, you know, lung cancer, the risk of, you know, uh, all-cause mortality or death... Increase wow. yeah. If you sit more, bro, that's four- that's sit on that for a second. That's fucking no mind blowing. Big no. deal. Yeah, yeah, right. That is fucking mind blowing right there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you right now that do you guys know anybody who doesn't sit for six hours a day? Mm. It's it's very rare to no. meet somebody who has a job where they're not sedentary. And even if you're not sedentary in your job, like I was a trainer, right? So I'm not very sedentary there. I still sit for probably six hours a day between driving for an hour both ways somewhere, yeah, yeah. sitting on my couch watching TV. Mm-hmm. That's fucking insane. Yeah, that's what the statistics say. If you sit more than four hours a day. Even if that shit is ballooned and not all the way accurate, just to, that it's even yeah. close is crazy. No, to no me. listen to this one. If you sit more than four hours a day, you increase your risk of de- death by any cause by 50%. 50. Yeah, that's a big, Half. Yeah, that's a big number, wow. man. That's a really big number. I mean, I mean, here's the deal. Like, God, our bodies are are evolved to like move. You know what I mean? We're not moving at all. It's the, it's the, radically different from bro, what we evolved. It's crazy doing. that our bodies evolved to move, and yet technology is evolving to force the opposite. Well, we right? also evolved to seek out um, efficient movement and, and efficiency because, for most of human civilization. If you were efficient with your energy, you you could could serve more of it, and you'd ha- and you have more of it when when you needed it. Yeah, it was a to hunt thing. or whatever. So it was smart. It was smart to to sit when you could, or to figure out smart ways of doing less work to get more. Right? Like if I'm a if I'm a, a caveman or whatever, and there's a creek, I mean, I could go out there and try and catch fish by hand, or I could, you know, figure out a new way to catch as many fish as possible while I was sitting over there trying to do some other stuff. So I set up a net or whatever. So, it, it, I mean, it, it makes sense. But we're now we're in a point where we make everything so easy and we're so driven to be lazy that we do nothing physical, literally nothing. Yeah. Like the modern lifestyle today, unless you go to the gym or unless you have a very physical job, which is becoming more and more rare, let's be honest, more... Less and less jobs are actually physically physically demanding. Most of them are not. What is your activity? Think about that. If you're the average American, you have a desk job like most Americans do nowadays, and you don't go to the gym, for years, your activity literally looks like wake up, walk downstairs, eat breakfast, sit down, watch a little TV, walk to my car, get in my car, so I'm sitting, drive, I don't know, an hour to work because there's traffic, get out of my car, sit down at my desk until it's lunchtime, stand up, walk somewhere, eat, or maybe eat at my desk, come back to my desk, sit down, work, oh, time to go home, get up, walk to my car, drive home or drive to pick up the kids or whatever, drive home, eat dinner, sit down, watch TV, go to bed. That is the 
average daily person's yeah. level of activity, which is so drastically different from how our bodies evolved. Oh. So drastically and, different. And and a lot of I remember clients feeling this way too. This is why I was God. I loved when tools like Fitbit and Bodybug and all those started to come out because it really gave me a tool to then help my clients open their eyes that no, you're not as active as you think you are because we we the way our brains work is we process like you know being busy as being active yeah. you know what i'm saying because i'm mentally busy and because i'm going here i'm going there i'm talking yeah. to someone on the phone i'm doing this i'm doing that picking the kids up from soccer practice dropping them off over here heading over to work here got a meeting there doing all this it's like oh no i i move bro i move you know but then when you start to measure it and you go and i'm looking down right now at my fitbit you know, and here we are halfway through the day already, and I'm at 2,000 steps. That's nothing. Yeah. And, wow. I, and I'm going to plan to work out in about an hour or so when we get off here. I'll only, in my workout, I'll get like another 2,000 steps or so in a full one hour workout. So I could easily, and then go from there, I could easily go home, and my pattern would be after a great workout, go home. If it's a relaxed, not move day for me, I could wait till Katrina gets home, maybe walk the dogs. That's another probably 800 to 1,000 steps. So easily a workout day, a day that I worked yeah. out, a day that I walk my dogs could still be in this four to 6,000 range of steps, which is still mm. considered a sedentary lifestyle. I know. Is, it's crazy. I know. That's crazy. Know. We have to design, you know what we have to do? Because you can't you can fix a lot of it or at least get some benefit out of scheduled exercise like like you're talking about, but it doesn't solve the whole problem. So here's another statistic. It's based on that same study, that 14-year study, even for the most frequent exercisers, there was still a significant increase in chance of early death that was correlated with just sitting for six or more hours a day. So even people who worked out all the time, and I think it's highlighting what you're saying, like, if you go to the gym for an hour, that's still one hour out of your entire day. Yeah. yeah. What you need, I, what we need to do is we need to like literally organize our homes and stuff around not sitting. You know what I'm saying? Like it needs to not just be scheduled exercise, but rather I have a stand up desk when well, I'm working. Well, now think about how like ineffective it is to go hammer your body. So all you want to do is lay down after the that's workout. Great point. Yeah, like, that's a, such a great point. That, that's that's such a, a pervasive mentality even fitness people have. Like, oh well, I just I destroyed myself in what like thirty to a minute or, or thirty minutes to an hour. Yeah, they've done studies on that too. If like someone will work out really really hard, they make up for it by being less active, doing other things because their yeah. body's tired or whatever. Your body's telling you to sit down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know, man. It's crazy. This is a. Uh, it's an interesting problem that we're encountering, um, and it's it's all if it, I don't think people realize just how bad this could turn for us. You know, the the, the medical costs of this of, of the results of our inactivity and, and poor diet. I mean, if it doesn't stop growing at the rate it's going, it will probably bankrupt us. There, there won't be a way to pay for it all. Um, you know, you know how expensive it is to take care of someone towards the end of their life. It's incredible. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then diseases that are. Uh, you know that are chronic, uh, that are definitely connected to being inactive and having a poor diet, are exploding. So it's an it's going to be an interesting problem. I, I wonder. I don't know how are we going to handle. I, I definitely believe we're heading that way. I just hope it's like many other things that I've seen in in my short thirty six years on this earth is that 
we tend to push these boundaries with things like that until it's like this state of emergency. Like you talk about like, you know, what pollution was 15, 20 years yeah. ago. Like we do stuff that we, like is not good, dangerous for our bodies until it's like, oh shit, at an alarming rate where, or where it's like, oh my God, we have to pump the brakes or we're fucked. Yeah. And so I, I do want to, I want to believe in humanity that we'll figure it out. I just hope that we don't get to a point where it's so bad that a lot, a lot of people are going to yeah, suffer. I, unfortunately, I think it's more like, Chris Cresser's kind of point of like where we're going to be in a, you know, we're going to be bankrupt because of all the, you know, the healthcare crisis. Like everybody's going to be like going to the hospital because of like all these conditions. And it's like, okay, now we got to tackle this. Yeah. We're forced to, but you know, like the, like to your point earlier, Justin, about, uh, you know, this, this acceptance of, you know, being unhealthy, being sedentary, you know, obesity and that kind of stuff. You know, I, I definitely don't think it's uh, appropriate or proper to to you know ridicule someone or make them feel like shit or whatever. Right, and I definitely want to advocate that. Too. No, that's not my but, mentality. But you know, what what would happen when when it becomes so taboo that it, everybody doesn't say anything, or it becomes you socially, can't talk about it, or it becomes socially like not only acceptable because you know guys know what happens with the pendulum, right? It swings one way and it goes the other way to the point where it can start to become cool. You know what I mean? We're like, I don't care. You know, look how look how big I am. This is awesome. You're skinny. You're starting to hear that a little bit in music and stuff. And so when that starts to happen, I wonder if that's gonna. I wonder if that was a little bit of a check and balance that we might need, you know, to be there a little bit, so it doesn't become so. Because social pressures are powerful. Let's be honest. If if you become really overweight, you know, and part of your motivation to maybe fix that a little bit, it might be the not the best motivation or the one you want to end up with, but part of your motivation may be like. You know, oh, I don't look as good out in public and, you know, so, and it's an interesting thing to ponder. I'm not saying it's, uh, you know, I have the answer with this or not, or, you know, one way or another. It's just an interesting thing to ponder and how, what, what influence that's going to have on, I guess, on, on the direction we're going. I don't know. Crazy. Uh, again, another reminder, go to mindpumpmedia.com, go to the podcast tab, check out our show notes. Uh, you'll like what you find there. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump. <laughs>